If you have your Bibles this morning, please turn to Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. The Apostle Paul here is speaking to the uh, church of Galatia, and he's giving them some instructions, and he is uh, interested that they really understand the, the, the need of the gospel. One of the difficulties that the Apostle Paul uh, uh, found that he was uh, confronted with was that uh, there were many who in his early ministry accepted the message with with great enthusiasm and they believed everything that he was saying and they just wholeheartedly believed that Jesus Christ was the only way, the truth, and the life. And Paul had wonderfully given them the wonderful gospel message that they're saved by grace and grace alone. Grace plus nothing else. But Paul had to go away, and while he was away, some Judaizers came in. And Judaizers were Jews from Jerusalem who had come to these infant churches that Paul had struggled to get going. And they began to show uh, these folks that, you know, Paul was good, but what he was saying was insufficient. It really couldn't get you all the way that you needed to go in order to get to heaven. You needed to be circumcised. You you needed to uh, obey the law. And so now the people were all confused. And so when you come to the book of Galatians, Paul is not a happy camper. In fact, you might say he's very upset. So upset that he calls them, oh, foolish Galatians. Now, he's not belittling them. He's just saying, look at what in the world's happened? How can you be so foolish to trade in the pure gospel of grace for an admixture of works? We recognize that that cannot happen. So now when we come to chapter 2, we're going to see that that Paul uh, had a, a tremendous experience in his life. You'll remember that Paul was a persecutor of the church. He's on his way to Damascus to put all those in prison that he possibly can. He was at the stoning of uh, a young man and uh, Saul. And uh, uh, as he was, not Saul, excuse me, Stephen. And as Stephen was being stoned, he gave consent. And he, he was kind of saying, great, one more out of the way. But as he's on the road to Damascus, a light comes from heaven and a voice from heaven. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? And the answer is, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And blind Paul got the light. He got the message. He couldn't see outwardly, but now his heart is opened. But this creates a major problem for him, doesn't it? Why? He was a devout Jew. He was carrying out what he thought was absolutely biblical. His whole theological system now is interrupted. It's turned upside down. Everything he had thought about the Messiah and everything he thought about the Scriptures is now thrown into question. If Jesus is the Messiah, everything that I've been taught about the Messiah and we've been expecting as Jews, could could it be wrong? Could Could we have been wrong? And the answer is yes. And so Paul uh, then, as you study scripture, after he gets converted, he goes to the backside of Arabia for three years. People are wondering, what in the world is he doing in the backside of Arabia for three years? I think I know the answer. I don't know it biblically, but I just know it, I think, from a practical viewpoint. 
Remember, his whole theological system is now thrown into turmoil. Everything he'd been learning in Scripture is now thrown out. So now Paul goes to the backside of Arabia, and he's going back to the Scriptures. Why? Because Jesus says, I am Jesus who... But that's not the Messiah we've been looking for. Now he's got to find out. What does the Bible say about the real Messiah? And so where are you going to find out? Paul, you want to really know about it? Go to the Bible. You want to know what God wants from you? Go to the Bible. Don't go to the preacher. Now the preacher can help you. But the Bible is, is the authority of the preacher, right? The authority isn't the preacher. The authority is the Word of God. And we need to begin to recognize, thus saith the Lord, and and begin to put our faith and trust in him and him alone. So Paul goes back to Scripture. He goes back in time. What do you mean he goes back in time? Well, who does he talk about? If you read through the writings of Paul, who does he talk about? Talks about Adam, talks about Abraham, talks about Moses, talks about David, talks about the prophets. So David is going back to Scripture, he's going back to, in time, and he's also going back to the apostles. We'll see that in our passage this morning. Why? Because he wants these believers to understand what happened to him was a miracle from heaven, and the message that he is preaching is right from heaven itself. It is Jesus that spoke to him and transformed his mind and his heart and his soul. And now the message that Paul has doesn't come from the rabbis. It doesn't come from the synagogue. It doesn't come from his own interpretations. It comes from a vision that God had given to him about himself, about the Messiah, and about eternity. So let's just look at these first 10 verses and then we'll make a few comments on them. I've already used up all my time, right? (laughs) Then after an interview of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. And it was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them, that is the leaders of the church, the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain." But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order that they might bring us into bondage. What kind of bondage? The bondage that you have to be circumcised, that you have to obey the law in addition to grace, and begin to add to what the Word of God really says. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel might remain in you. Amen. Amen. Good preachers aren't going to yield to outside forces, right? We're listening to the Spirit of God as He directs us from the Word of God. But from those who were of high reputation, that means the the apostles, the leaders of the church, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. Now, he's not putting them down. He's just simply saying, when they saw the message that I was preaching and the message that they were preaching, there really weren't any contradictions. There was nothing there for us to be arguing about. But on the contrary... 
seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcision, but Peter, uh, the gospel to the uncircumcision, for he who effectually worked in Peter in his apostleship to the circumcision effectively worked in me to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to, to me James, Cephas, and John, or John, Peter, uh, and uh, uh, James, uh, these leaders of the church who were reputed to be pillars of the church or leaders of the church gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing we were eager to do. And so we kind of here have the background that I've given to you. What Paul is concerned about is that they understand the truth, the truth about God's divine plan for humanity. If you go to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul really gives out God's plan for humanity when he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove how, in the way you live, that God has control of your life. That's my little interpretation there, okay? So what's he saying? He's saying, look at that's really what the gospel is, and that's what Paul is concerned about that they understand the pure message of the gospel. God's plan for his people is to know and do his perfect will. So the passage that we have this morning shows us Paul's concern uh, uh, concerning this uh, issue here. So look at verses 1 and 2 and we see Paul's concern for the gospel. You read in verses 1 and 2 that uh, he, his preparation, okay, his preparation for the gospel ministry. We already spoke about that that he came to the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and God wonderfully transformed his life. He prepared him, what? For the ministry that he would have to the Gentiles. Paul was a blue blood Jew. He was not really interested in ministering to the Gentiles. He would never have done that if God hadn't gotten a hold of his heart. And when God got a hold of his heart, he opened his eyes that the message that Jesus gave was that whosoever will, what? Whosoever will may come to the Lord Jesus Christ. For God so loved the Jews that he gave his only begotten son. Is that what it says? No. For God so loved the world, not just the Jews. I love it when we used to teach our children, and we don't teach them much anymore in our churches, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And Paul is trying to teach that message. Doesn't make any difference what we are, what color we are, what our ethnicity is, whether I'm Jew or Gentile. The message from heaven is the same message. What is the message? Paul says, all are pretty good. And you're going to make it to heaven if you stay the way you are. Isn't that what he says? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. 
So he brings out here and the, the preparation for the gospel that Jesus wonderfully transformed his mind and his heart and gave him the real vision that he needed in order to be effective in ministry. But he not only prepared him, but he gave him that wonderful revelation. And that revelation, I, I don't know exactly what revelation this is talking to, whether it's the revelation that he had on the road to Damascus or some other revelation. But I know that he had the revelation and the revelation that came to him is I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So when Jesus, uh, when uh, Paul hears Jesus say that, what do you think Paul is saying? I think I better listen. I think I'd better pay attention. I, I've been listening to Rabbi so-and-so. I better start listening to Rabbi Jesus and getting my sources right from heaven itself. But notice also the trepidation that, that's here in verse uh, uh, 2. And he says that, uh, but he, he, he came to them in private, which is good. He had an issue. He came to them. He want, what, what Paul is doing here, after, after being in the ministry and serving in the ministry for quite a period of time, if he was on the backside of Arabia for three years, and then this is 14 years later, and he's been ministering, so he must have been ministering maybe 11 years after the three years, and, but now he's coming back to the church and the leaders, and he wants, to, he wants to make sure he's on track. He wants to make sure that what I've been preaching is not wrong. So he's coming back to these folks to try to discover, uh, are we all on the same page? And so he says, I go to those who were of reputation. Why did he go to them? For fear, fear that I might be running or had run in vain. That was his trepidation, wasn't it? Aren't we afraid that what we're doing will not be effective? Don't you want to be effective for Jesus in your family? Aren't you concerned about your kids? Aren't you concerned about those around you who are going to a godless eternity? The world in which we live is going to hell in a handbasket and many Christians could care less. Do you know that? How many of us are really sharing the gospel message with those all around us and trying to in encourage them to understand that Jesus Christ is the need in their lives? The second point we come to is in verse 3. Paul's concern about legalism. But, but he says... Uh, not even Titus, who was with me, with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. I like this. <laughs> you know, here, here is Paul and Barnabas, and they're taking this Gentile with them. And they know that the problem that they've had is that these Judaizers were telling them, these guys can't get to heaven unless they're circumcised. Now they're bringing this uncircumcised Gentile with them into Jerusalem to these elders... Why in the world do you think he's doing that? Why are they doing? Prime example. <laughs> you want to see what Jesus is doing to Gentiles? Look at Titus. Titus, give your testimony. Woo! They can see for themselves that the gospel is not restrained or restricted. That these can come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and have a dynamic change in their lives. And so he, he goes there because he, he wants to make sure that they're on, on the right track there. Okay, so you, you, you see Titus, the uncircumcised Greek, is brought there as a, a marvelous testimony as to what God's grace has been doing. And I'm sure that Paul and Barnabas could say, and you know, he's not the only one. 
We've got dozens and dozens in all of the churches in Galatia that uh, have accepted Jesus on the basis of grace and grace alone. And then you also have uh, here the, the traditionalists. We talked about them a little bit. There are those Judaizers who tried to compel people to be circumcised. Why? You had to have the outward mark of legitimacy. Paul says the outward mark didn't really indicate what was going on in the heart. God wasn't concerned what mark you have in your body. He's concerned what mark you have in your heart. And he wants the heart to be circumcised. The heart to be cut out for God. The the heart to have a mark that says, wow, look at him. He really is committed to the things of heaven. And then you, uh, the, the, that, that mark of legalism is, is, a, is a pest, isn't it? It can really be destructive and hurtful. And then you see that uh, in ver- the third thing that we come to is in verses 4 and 5. Paul's concerned about false preachers and teachers. But it was because of false brethren who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to even, uh, for even an hour uh, so that the truth of the gospel r- might remain uh, with you. So, first of all, you see their character. What does Paul call them? False brethren. Now, he doesn't say that they're not brethren, does he? He does call them brethren. But he says that they are brethren who are not preaching the gospel. You know, they, they, are, they call themselves Christians. They, they say that they're part of the family of God. But I want you to know something. They're false. Why? Because the message that they are giving is not consistent with the message that Jesus has given to us to give. We, we must preach the truth. And any preacher that does not preach the truth is a false preacher. And we have a lot of false preachers today that are preaching a message that really is not consistent with the word of God. We have a lot of people today that that believe, you know, that you can can really uh, do a lot of things that are wrong and still get to heaven. But I want to tell you, if you read the scriptures, and you actually can go to chapter uh, 4 or 5 in Galatians, and he'll bring out a list of things that people do, and he says, and they're not going to get to heaven. You go to the book of Revelation, and John puts a list of things, and he says, and there's no way they're going to get to heaven. And, and we're pissy, pussyfooting around, suggesting that people can get to heaven by some other method or some other way, or they don't have to be totally committed to God. That is not true. It's a lie from the pit of hell itself. Old things pass away, Paul says. All things become new. We are a new creature in Christ Jesus, created to be different created unto good works. Not that our works save us, but when we're saved, our works are changed and they're going to be what God wants them to be. So you you have their character. But then he also talks about their their call. Uh, They they spread a false gospel. Uh, They're suggesting that what uh, Jesus, uh, what Paul was teaching was insufficient, that something needed to be added to that. And then in verse 5, you you see uh, what I call their collapse. But we did not yield in subjection to them. I love that. We did not yield. What is he saying? We stood true to the gospel. We stood our ground 
for their correction. We stood our ground for your good. Paul said, you know, there's a point where you have to say, this is what I believe God's word says, and here's why I believe it's true. And if you don't believe it, that's fine. Okay, I'm not going to argue with you. You're going to have to argue with God over that. But this is what I believe the scriptures say. And if you don't believe it, then you can do what you want to do. And your sin is not on my hand now, and I'm not responsible for you. Then in verses 6 through 10, we come to Paul's concern about ministry. In verses 6 through 7, he talks, and I, I, I love this. It's, uh, but for those who were of high reputation, the leaders of the church, it doesn't really make any difference to me. Uh, God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation uh, contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised and Peter to the gospel to the circumcised. So what is the benefit here? The, the benefit of good godly leaders. This is what he's talking about here. The benefit of godly leaders. Paul's concern for the church is the benefit of godly leaders. So what does Paul do? Paul goes to the godly leaders. He talks with the godly leaders. He evaluates his message in light of their message. They come to the conclusion that they're both preaching the same gospel and they recognize that my ministry is here to the Gentiles. Peter's ministry is to the Jews, but the ministry is both from the Lord. And it is the Lord that is what? Blessing Peter and blessing Paul. So they say, amen, that's what it's all about. Okay? And so uh, you see that the the benefit is that godly leaders help us to look at God, not man. Right? Who are we looking to? We're looking to God for direction. Both Peter and and Paul and the church, they're looking for God's direction. So they come together and they say, hey, we're on the same track. This is exactly what God wants us to be doing. And then in verses 8 through 10, I want you to see not only the benefit of godly leaders, but the blessing of godly leaders. For he who effectively worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcision effectively worked in me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing that grace or the grace that had been given to me, uh, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing which we were eager to do. So the blessing of godly leaders is they are dependent. Look uh, at, at, at this in verse 8. For he who effectively worked in Peter, who is the he? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that he's talking about. Who is effectively working in your life? Is it you? Or is it the Spirit of God? It's the Spirit of God that brings conviction. It's the Spirit of God that works in us. It's the Spirit of God that brings to our memory what we need to have in our memory at the right time. And the older I get, I'm making it more difficulty for the Holy Spirit. 
But you begin to recognize that, that what he's saying here, he, he, he works effectively. The Holy Spirit is the one that works effectively. But not only does it work effectively, look in verse 9, and recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James. See, the Holy Spirit gives what? Gives clarity, right? Not only does the Holy Spirit help us to work effectively, but it gives us clarity so that we can see what God is doing and rejoice. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Now, there was division when these people are coming. There's this tension between Judaism and Christianity. And now they're coming together. And wow, we're on the same page. Instead of now there being tension, they're rejoicing. Praise the Lord. Look at this. God is at work in the Gentiles and in the Jews. Could we ask for anything more than that? And then in verse 10, he concludes. I want you guys just to remember the poor. And Paul says... No problem. That's always been our concern, to minister to those who have not only spiritual needs, but material needs. So what's he saying in verse 10? Work humbly, right? Work humbly. Do your work humbly. When I read that, you know what it tells me? As a minister, as a leader in the church, don't let ministry blind you to the needs of others. We can get so involved in ministry and needing to go to the next project that we're leaving people behind. We can't do that. Well, let me conclude by asking, how concerned are we for the gospel message to be proclaimed without compromise? How concerned are we for legalism not to become a badge of honor or a means of pride? I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos. Oh boy, we get that today, don't we? Well, I like Dr. Stanley. Well, I just want to tell you, brother, I like Pastor Jeremiah. You know why? He's right from the Bible. Jeremiah, yeah, he's resurrected. Not really. But, you know, I, I like all kinds of preachers. But, you know, we get into this area. No, come on. But legalism, hey, you have to do it this way. This is the only man of God. This is the only person. This is the only way. We have to be careful that we don't allow our legalism and our religion become a badge of honor or a means of pride. And then also, how concerned are we for False preachers denying the truth of Scripture, adding their slants, their views, and their interpretations. And how concerned are we for the clarity of the message and the ministry that God has called us to, to be pure, to be clean, to be simple. Let me close by giving you a, a statement that I came across not too very long ago. And I said, wow. You know, you have to, you have to listen to this because it's, it, it's a little tricky. We are not what we think we are, but what we think we are. Did you get that? We are not what we think we are, but what we think we are. As a man thinks in his heart, the Bible says, so is he. May God help us not just to talk the talk, but to walk the walk. That's what Paul was concerned about. 
Let's stop all the little pity things Paul is saying and let's get focused on the real issue. People are lost and going to a godless eternity, Jews and Gentiles, and they both need to hear the gospel. God has given some the ability to preach in Spanish. I can't do anything in Spanish. The only thing I can say in Spanish will get me in trouble. Ah, señorita, es muy bonita. Anybody know what I mean? Something about some lady, you're so beautiful. Now, how did I learn that? I never knew Spanish. My cousin said to me, you want to learn Spanish? I said, yes, well, I'll teach you. And that's what he taught me. So that's all I know in Spanish. And it may not be very good in the way I said it, but you get the point. So, so let's, let's, let's really be on the cutting edge here and recognize that uh, God wants us to get things right and to be focused where we need to be focused so that we can be most effective for him. Father, we thank you for the time that we could share in your word. And we pray that it might have helped us in our understanding of how we can be concerned for the ministry uh, in the world that we're living today, just as Paul was concerned that it was effective ministry in his day. So we ask our Father that you will open our minds and hearts to your Holy Spirit's guidance and direction. For we pray in Jesus' name for the honor of God. Amen.